Welcome to Activate with Pastor Christian Newsom, a podcast of Journey Church International. Well, thank you for listening to the Activate podcast with Pastor Christian Newsom, a ministry resource of Journey Church International here in Lee Summit, Missouri. My name is Ryan. I'm always honored to get a chance to host the podcast. I'm on the ministry team here. This Sunday, we jump back into our Jesus People series with a message. I think this is message 8 of 16. This message is titled, Should We Skip This Chapter? Yeah. Uh, yeah, we'll, we'll talk about that. It's an uh, honest question. It's a good question. It, it is a good question. It's a good question and, after you read the chapter. Yeah, if you read it, you'll, you'll understand why that was asked. Uh, our Bible text is in Matthew 10, so we'll yep. be referencing that. But welcome. If you're new, I'm glad you found the Activate podcast. Hopefully we, uh, we encourage you and help activate your faith. If you haven't done so already, you can... Uh, watch on the app or YouTube or on our Journey website. Check out this week's message. It'll be really helpful as you uh, listen to the podcast. So, Pastor Christian, the title is, Should We Skip This Chapter? And you, you, you address this in a message, but I think it's important to reiterate what you established when you asked that, kind of tongue-in-cheek. Yeah. Why don't we skip parts of the Bible that are difficult? So I'll say this. So uh, there's a lot of people who are still listening to our podcast on Spotify, you know, or what, whatever their podcast platform is, don't even know we're on YouTube and you can watch it. For those who have been watching it, they'll realize you're wearing the exact same pullover this week that I wore last week. We, we I, only, I only know that because, I yeah, I watched last week's podcast on the treadmill um, yesterday. Mine has a little KC on the sleeve, you, but oh, other than that... Okay. Yeah, like it's it's almost identical. So Ryan and I are not changing clothes yeah. um, or, or, sh- or sharing clothes. I'm one size larger than him, so yes. he'd be swimming in that. Yeah. Um, but when I saw that today, I thought, that's funny. We're going to – so like – Next week you need to wear this one, I don't have and, that I, one. and I'll wear and I'll wear a different yeah, one. I've got something so similar. Wear something close. Yes. Then we'll we'll see how many of our YouTube viewers are even getting it. Catch on to that. What was the question? Yeah. Why don't we <laughs> skip parts of the Bible that are difficult? Yeah. Um because I think we need so Proverbs says that every word of God is pure. And Paul told Timothy in Second Timothy three sixteen that all Scripture is God-breathed, all of it, and it's useful for teaching and preaching and correcting and training in righteousness. So there are, there are nuggets of gold, and there are sanctification statements, in, like in every word of Scripture. Jesus prayed in John seventeen seventeen, sanctify them by your truth. The word sanctify means set apart, make different, um, put in a position to live for God. Sanctify them, um, and he says you sanctify them by your truth. So you know, when when you do topical Bible studies where you, you find a t- like marriage, I want to teach people what the Bible has to say about marriage. You start with your topic, then you go get you go get all the verses on marriage and you put together series and you teach it. Uh, topical learning is a phenomenal way to learn. It's why you almost all of us have a topical index in the back of our Bible because one of the ways you learn scripture about specific topics is, is, you know, through a word study on faith or fear or finances, and those, you know, just all in the F category, or trust or temptation. Like, you go to the back of your Bible and like, hey, this area, here's all the verses on it. But when you just teach through books of the Bible like we have been doing in Matthew, like 50 messages in now in Matthew, and, you know, we pause for the holiday season 
So December was Christmas-oriented. January was vision-oriented as we opened our church. But we jump right back in Matthew. Like, when you teach through books of the Bible, you have to teach what's there, when it's there, and you have to realize that Jesus meant it. And you can't really pick the chapter before because that one's easy and the chapter after because that one's easy and skip the one in the middle because you have to say everything that Jesus said. And there are a lot of people and a lot of churches in the Christian movement today that are kind of in the name it, claim it, health and wealth, prosperity gospel. Let's just find the parts of the Bible that make us feel good about ourselves um, and only tell us kind of the good, easy parts about God. I say at the very end of the message, it would have been it would have been nice to skip this chapter in the Bible, but we don't get to skip this chapter of life. So we probably better teach it. Because even if you don't read it in Scripture, you are going to experience that some people not only don't like Jesus, they're not into Him, they reject Him. And you're going to realize that because you have accepted Him, they're going to reject you. Like everything we taught... We may not study it in Scripture. I promise you we'll experience it in life. So when Jesus teaches us some of the hardest truths, he's trying to get us ready for some of the biggest moments in our life. He's not doing it so we'll be discouraged. He's doing it so we'll be prepared because it's coming. And this, was, this is one of those hard chapters. You know, as, as we looked at all of the very positive aspects of being Jesus people— that like, hey, our, like our primary need and our primary purpose are spiritual, spiritual realization, number one. Our priority has to be spending time with Jesus, priority number two. You know, the, the all-in series that we did, realization number four, like it takes all of us. Like there's all this Sermon on the Mount, love that. First few realizations of being Jesus people, love that. Learning about faith like we did, lessons in faith, love that hearing that Christianity sometimes will suck the life out of you. We talked about um, the book, How to Win Friends and uh, Influence People, that Dale Carnegie wrote in 1936. And we said Matthew 10 could be, you know, titled How to Lose Friends and Turn All of Society Against You. Jesus is like, this is what it means to be Jesus' people. Um, it's, it's, it's not easy. It's not easy. And I think if we don't tell Jesus' people that life won't be easy, some of them will think they did something wrong, or maybe they won't want to fight through being Jesus' people when life indeed is as hard as Jesus says it will be, specifically when we are rejected and people come against us because of what we're for as Jesus' followers. So obviously we're not going to avoid tough parts of Scripture, and it makes for sometimes uncomfortable sermons, but we will grow, and this one is, uh, is no different. So jumping back into the spiritual realizations, yeah. you made reference to them. You taught from um, Matthew on spiritual realization number four a few weeks ago, right, well, before Christmas, and yeah. we had this all in. It takes all of us to accomplish yes. Jesus' mission. So before yes. we jump into number five, can you help me thank so many new volunteers that have started serving over the last several months. Yeah, so Matthew 9, Jesus gets to the the end of Matthew chapter 9, and he tells his disciples, man, look up. The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Pray to the Lord of the harvest that he'll send workers into his harvest field. So we paused on that realization, and we took four weeks to walk through the last few verses of Matthew chapter 9, saying like, hey, like we're living in a unique season where right now, 
our community is ripe for the harvest because we're building this new building right off of one of the central highways. We think a lot of people are going to be attracted to our church. So we got to be ready to serve them. Like we believe God's going to call people. And kind of every week we went over those, Jesus is coming to our town and the crowds are still drawn to Jesus and the crowds need shepherds and like the shepherds need workers. Like this is happening in 2022 at Journey. So we need people to help. And and we had hundreds of new people sign up to help. And even since then, we've had more people continue to sign up and help. And Ryan, our church feels like one one of my friends, Aaron, texted me after the barracks were here on January 30th and just, you know, said, man, like for us, church felt so great. How did it feel for you? And I told him, I said, Aaron, when I uh, went out in the atrium between services and after service, and as I hung out at our Sunday night event, our church finally felt like in person what it has always felt like in my heart. It felt like it felt like a congregation who was living life and living on mission together. And that's what it's begun to feel like, but only because, or maybe mostly because of all the volunteers who come early, who stay late, who are on mission, uh, who get that like we're not just having a service, but we're having church. And we're welcoming people and we're in position and we're smiling. Um, and, and we're available. Uh, I just can't say enough about those who responded to the call to be one of the workers in the harvest field of Jesus and what Jesus is doing in continuing to bring people and, and, and to call new workers into his harvest field and how it feels. It feels different and different feels very, very good in this season of our church. It's been great almost every week looking around the huddle. We do a big huddle in the foyer. A big huddle, yeah. And more and more people are there and they're feeling a part of the family, a part of uh, they have purpose, and yeah. what they do is very important. Have you guys got a microphone for that huddle yet? Because once the huddle expands, like past sixty-five, it's kind of hard to hear when you're shouting. It gets hard above everything. Yeah. Not yet, but we'll uh, we'll get there. Uh, this text begins in Matthew ten yep. uh, with Jesus calling his twelve disciples to yep. him, and we we see the names of them. Can you speak to the many different types of people from different backgrounds who had to learn to serve on mission together? Yeah, so I think probably the one that that has to stand out to us in America in 2022, right, is the, is the combination of Matthew, the tax collector, also known as Levi, who's writing the book that we're reading, and Simon the Zealot, because this was a Democrat and a Republican, right? I mean, the, this was the opposing political parties of the day, the Zealots, a group of radicals, really from Galilee, who wanted to eliminate Roman occupation, and a tax collector, a Jewish person who'd gone to work for Rome so they could get rich off of Roman occupation. These, these guys would have hated each other. We know in history, zealots um, were assassins, like literally terrorist assassins that would attack people from Rome or working from Rome like on their way to and from work. And now all of a sudden, they're in small group together with Jesus. And I'm not saying that Matthew thought tax collecting is never important, or Simon thought the Romans are ever good guys, but somehow those things were able to be secondary to the mission of Jesus. And Matthew figuring out, I guess I reach the, ta- I guess I reach the Jewish tax collector people, and Simon reaching whoever, like whoever he would reach um, at some point, the zealots 
who said, like, listen, Rome is not, Roman occupation is not the enemy, sin is the enemy. You know, I think as we look at those 12 people from all those different walks of life, those would be the two that I think we should aspire to in America today. We've got to be able to figure out people who are just on the total opposite side of of the political ideology that we have and say, all right, you're you're here politically, I'm here politically. We both love Jesus, which means neither neither one of our politics um, support totally the way of Jesus. We both have sacrificed some to be passionate about some. How do we figure out how to how to put Jesus in the center of our life and move forward together? Like the Church of Jesus has to rally together. The rich and poor, the black and white, the Democrats and the Republicans, the 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 rural communities and the urban communities, the church of Jesus has to rally together and stick together so that we might experience revival in our, our communities, our cities, in our country, in our time. And I think the disciples, as you study them one by one, are a really good picture of these were guys with culturally different backgrounds, kind of from different areas of the country, probably varying degrees of education, certainly with two very, very different um, political ideologies. But like Jesus' Jesus' mission, Jesus' kingdom became their thing above all. And I, I think Christians have to figure out, instead of trying to figure out how to fit Jesus into their worldview and ideology, they got to figure out how their worldview and ideology um, can fit into Jesus being the priority of their life. And if it can't, you have to change it. Yeah, no, great examples. And uh, man, it's uh, it's great when we see that happening in church because we have people at church who get focused on Jesus and do things together, although at times we know they have a little bit different beliefs in different areas, but right. they stay focused on what's important. Right. So spiritual realization number five, this won't be easy. Yeah. Uh, I think an important statement in this message that's crucial to what you're trying to get across when you is when you said this. You said one of the primary times that Christians witness the loudest is when they're rejected. Right. So where else have have we seen that true of Jesus followers in Scripture? Well, the biggest thing that we pointed out um, on Sunday was like the global symbol of Christianity is the greatest symbol of rejection in the first century, the cross. Right. Like I mean what we celebrate as success was was a moment of defeat. It appeared to be a moment of defeat. So not only the cross of Jesus, not only the upside-down cross of Peter, who we're told was crucified, not only the beheading of the Apostle Paul, I think probably very specifically about James, Peter, James, and John, three of the disciples in Jesus' inner circle, James, the first apostle who was martyred, by being beheaded um, early in the book of Acts, and then Stephen, uh, a deacon in the early church, um, who was stoned and killed um, because of his testimony about Jesus. Both of those instances, instead of defeating the church, inspired the church. Uh, When Peter and John were arrested early in the book of Acts, it says that the church grew together, and in that moment of rejection and trial, began to pray, and God began to move. Um, I, th- I think all throughout church history, I'm not sure who it was, but said the blood of the martyrs literally waters the soil of the future generations of saints. We find out that 
when Christians continue to witness well, with dignity, with the light of the gospel, continuing to point people to Jesus, I think that gets the world's attention more than anything else. And, it, and again, the pinnacle of the witness of rejection is the cross, which is why Jesus says, take up your cross, take up your rejection, take up your shame, take up your failures, take up the persecution, like put that on your back, carry it with you and let's go. Cause I'll use that. And like I said in the message, Jesus never promised bail money. John the Baptist died in prison. Paul died in prison. Peter died in prison. So Jesus said, Hey, you're going to be arrested. And then he didn't say, but I'll come bail you out. He's like, Hey, you're going to be arrested. But during your trial, before they kill you, I'll tell you what to say. And it's like, okay, let's like, let's play that. Back. Let's play that back real quick. I'm going to be arrested. You're going to come and you're going to post bail. No, I'm going to come help you learn what to say because that moment your witness is going to be like the most powerful. So like, it'll be awesome. Let's go. These early Jesus people were crazy in their boldness in the face of rejection and hardship. And they were willing to minister to the center from the margin rather than saying, if we don't sit in the center, we don't minister at all. We take our ball and we go home if we don't do it our way. And I think Jesus' church in America, still doing that, still witnessing big time in rejection in lots of the world, I think the American church is going to have to make that shift in the next 25 to 50 years, and we will. And when we do, I think we'll have our most powerful witness yet. Yeah, amen. You, you talk about church history and, and some not-so-shiny seasons right. of Christianity in right. your message. Why is it important to understand this and, and learn from these unhealthy seasons of church, oh, church man, history? You, so you're going to ask the divisive question. So I ask our people <laughs> on Sunday, um, so I love church history. Uh, I had been accepted into the doctoral program um, at Liberty Theological Seminary before I started the church, and I thought, you know what, probably should pause that while we start a church. At some point, I'll go back and get my doctorate. Love school, love reading, love writing, love that stuff. Uh, if, if I go get a specialized doctorate, it'll be either in church history or biblical geography, because those are just the things I lo- like. I love them. I love them. You don't have to give me a degree to study them. I'll do it. Like I just love those areas. And when you study church history, so I told our church, I'm not making a political statement. Please don't politicize it. Um, if if there are some areas that seem similar, take it for what it is, but don't politicize. I'm just stating facts of church history that could be stated at any time. The church was its most corrupt and its most diluted when it sat in the seat of government power. I mean, just go back and read through your church history. The church became its most corrupt— and, it, and the church population, the most deluded brand of Christianity. Yeah. Church of Rome, when it, Church of England. Yes, Church yeah. of Rome, Church of England. Um, it, yes, all, you know, all, all of those. And you could probably name five or six more. Um, that was the reality of the church. When it was culturally acceptable and advantageous to be a part of the church, you had people be a part of the church for reasons other than Jesus, and it diluted the commitment of the flock, 
And it really kind of, it, it taught people how to use the church to their own advantage. So that's just, that is just the mm-hmm. reality of church history. You can state that at any time over the last 1,500 years. The church has been its strongest and experienced its most powerful revivals when it has had to minister from the margins to the center or minister from the margins in spite of the center. When you look at the first 300 years of church history, when most Christians were poor, many of them slaves in the Roman Empire, when you look at the Protestant Reformation that came against the great big state-run Catholic Church, when you look at the Puritan movement and the Great Awakening movement of Christians leaving England for 13 territories of like starting over because they believed that the, the kind of the state-run church had become corrupt— It was when Christians were willing to live in the margins and pray for the sinner and desire to have impact on the sinner without holding on so tightly to the sinner that God moved, that God moved the mightiest. And I think right now there's this, there's this fear among the spiritually deluded um, flock, kind of the culturally, cultural Christian flock in America right now that says if we don't if we don't hold on to our seat of power and government like the church will be swallowed whole that that is just one that's not the promise of scripture that's not what we see in any of church history and as a matter of fact it may not even be possible for a revival to come until we live on the margins again and we're willing to impact the center from the seat of the margin rather than to try to change the margin from the seat of power. I just think it needs to be a changing landscape that we look at with a hopeful mindset rather than a fearful mindset. Now, because we are the generation who will live through the change, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be probably difficult on us. But the brand of faith that our kids and grandkids and great-grandkids have, if they're forced into the margins— will be a deeper, richer, more dynamic, more impactful faith than a deluded cultural Christianity could have ever had. So I think every now and then we have to go back and study our church history to realize when the world is against you and when the world hates you, man, sometimes you're at your best. Because Jesus said he's going to build his church and the gates of hell are not going to prevail against it. Um, so like, don't lose hope. And sure, fight. I mean, elect people who are going to represent biblical morality. Elect people who are going to help our kids experience a Judeo-Christian faith. Like, sure, fight for that. But don't be afraid. Like, don't be afraid. Um, Our country may be on the verge of revival only after it appears that Christians have lost all influence in government, not because they have influence in government. So, like, don't don't be afraid. Learn your church history. See what Jesus says. Jesus like this. Jesus like this is not going to be easy. But but what we'll talk about next week. But we're going to go anyway, and we're going to have tremendous impact. Yeah. So like, roll up your sleeves, and and let's go. So I I just think it's important to remember church history so we don't get discouraged by the pundits who maybe some of them, not all of them, but maybe some of them, are using uh, Christianity uh, to try to scare people into into giving them a vote. Um, because if they don't, like, the church is going to go away. Like, those people haven't read any scripture if they really believe that. 
And throughout church history, when the church appears to be the most marginalized, the people are the deepest spiritually, and it just appears to have the most impact. I'm a a big believer in history as well, so I think it's important to understand it. And so I I appreciate you unpacking that because I I agree. Yeah, thanks for asking because, like, (laughs) after all of the negative emails come in for Sunday, I'll get a new round from the podcast. I I appreciate it. I'll help you defend this (laughs) because I absolutely agree. Matthew 10, 38 and 39 says, Whoever does not take up their cross and follow yeah. me is not worthy of me. Yeah. Whoever finds their life will lose it, and whoever loses their life will, for my sake, will find it. How, how, how would you re- reiterate this charge that Jesus gave to Christians trying to serve Jesus today? Well, I would say this. Um, Jesus had to say that in Matthew chapter 10 because it was going to be true of all the people who were listening to him. Um, it, it wasn't a warning. It was a promise. The disciples, each and every one of them, were going to die a martyr's death, except John, who survived a martyr's death, only to live mutilated on the island of Patmos, kind of isolated his whole life. Uh, and we learn in the first three centuries that a large, large number of Christians knew that Christianity meant you would be fed to the lions in the Roman Colosseum. So what appears to be a metaphor to us, of like, hey, this won't be easy, but like, get, get ready for tough times and to suffer, um, actually meant 2,000 years ago, they're going to kill you. They're going to kill you. And I think it's polite of Jesus to warn his followers. Just so you know, if you get into this thing with me, um, it, it probably will cost you your life. But when you lose this life, the life you'll gain, when you're not afraid to die because you know your eternal life has begun, you'll live the life I created you for, and you'll live eternal life with me. Um, this wasn't a metaphor. It was a reality. If you follow me in Matthew 10 generation, you're probably going to die uh, and be killed for your faith. Uh, but it's okay because you're going to find life um, and, and across the world, there's a lot of places where Matthew chapter 10 is still very, very current. If you become a Christian and let it be known that you're a Christian, they're going to kill you. But even then, you find your life. And I do think the metaphorical value of it, even in, a, in, a, in an American culture that's becoming more and more hostile to Christianity, is, listen, um, to name Jesus, you're going to suffer. Not because people hate you, but because they hate Jesus. Um, you're going to suffer. But like in that suffering and in that persecution, you're really you're you're going to find what it's like to identify with Jesus, and you're going to find yourself more alive than you've ever been before. And you'll hold looser, uh, you'll hold way more loosely onto this life because you'll you'll realize that real life is with Jesus one day in eternity. So, um, I mean, great great verses to read. Pretty harsh reality two thousand years ago. But I'm, I'm glad Jesus gave us fair warning. Not only will people post negative things about you online, a lot of you are going to die. But if you're willing, it's going to be incredible. Yeah. And, it, and, it, and it was. Too important to skip. Yes. Too important to skip because the reality is you will face this in some areas of our world. It is very, they, they may die. Yeah, yeah. Last question, um, fourth discipleship track, right, or leadership track, where we want to continue to help people take something they've learned right. and share it with someone else. So 
as you collect your thoughts? What from, what from the message would you want our audience to share with someone? I think leaning into the moments where you feel like you're dying a little bit. You know, we said that um, sometimes the moments we die are the moments the kingdom really lives. And what appeared to be the darkest moment in the history of the church, in the, in the moment, Jesus dying on the cross was actually the greatest moment for the kingdom. And there will be things in your life that feel like death. Uh, death of relationships, death of dreams, death of habits, um, death of pursuits. There will be things that you lay on the altar that in the moment will feel like you're losing something, but in the history of the kingdom will allow people to really find something. So I think the moments that, the moments that we die to and the moments that we experience the most pain, uh, I think are moments that sometimes have the most incredible impact on the world. On the world. So I, I love kind of how we close this message in verse 42. Jesus is like, hey, nobody who gives a cup of cold water in my name won't be rewarded. And we said, like, Jesus, uh, every act of hard work is rewarded, but most of the hard moments are rewarded most. And I think the most difficult things we go through, those moments in our life become moments in the kingdom that bring the most life and testify the most loudly to who Jesus is for us. So I think it's being able to help people see their dark hard moments that feel like death to them as some of the greatest moments of life in the history of the kingdom, which is now 2,000 years and running. You might not even be around to see the light that this dark moment brought in your life, but we promise dark moments bring bright life in the kingdom over an eternity. I think it's important to point that out to people so they can have hope, even if it's hope that they can't see. Great wisdom. I know you gave a challenge uh, last week about being at church yeah and so uh, just a reminder if you if you listened if that was the shoe you need to to put on as your old coach sam said hopefully you'll be with us i know many people are, are, are coming back getting involved uh growing we had a, a full growth track room it's exciting uh, it was yeah so god god's moving and uh, we'd love to to see you see you sunday thanks pastor christian for wisdom you shared today from a, a, a too important of a chapter to skip yeah uh, thank you for listening to the Activate Podcast. We're glad you have decided to tune in. We'd love for you to share it, rate it. It always helps us to get the word out there. As always, if you're listening in the Kansas City area, come and see us in person at 845 and 1030. I always have to think about those those service times. We'd love to have you uh, come and be a part of our services. If you have a question or if we can do something for you, you can email us at activate at takethejourney.cc. We look forward to catching you next time on the Activate Podcast, where we challenge you to build a faith that is active. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Activate. We would love for you to join us in person for one of our weekly worship experiences. You can find out more information about JCI on our website at takethejourney.cc. Help us get the word out about this resource. You can do so by subscribing, reviewing, and sharing this episode on your favorite social media platform. Thanks again for listening, and we'll catch you next time on the Activate Podcast.